It's the Go Gopher Podcast with Mike Grimm, episode number 28. I am Mike Grimm, voice of the Golden Gophers, and welcome back to the podcast. We have a special Go Gopher Podcast this week as former Golden Gopher linebacker Mark Dusbabic of Faribault is set to join me for a conversation I promise you'll enjoy. That's especially true if you love the Golden Gophers, you love the Vikings, and golf. You see, Mark is a PGA Tour rules official. He's steadily risen up the ranks and now provides rules commentary on many of the televised PGA Tour events you watch each weekend. As mentioned, Mark is a Faribault native who lettered for four years for the Golden Gophers and was amongst the leading tacklers in the Big Ten. He still has strong ties to the community, although he lives out west. We're about to hear from him on all of that. Our Go Gopher podcast is presented by alumni-owned Sunbelt Business Advisors and True North Mergers and Acquisitions. If you're a business founder planning to exit your business, start by contacting Sunbelt Business Advisors and True North mergers and acquisitions. Sunbelt serves more businesses up to $5 million in revenue than anyone. And True North M&A serves companies with revenues up to $150 million. You can get a confidential, no cost, no obligation business valuation started today. Make the most of your life's work. Visit sunbeltminnesota.com or tnma.com today. Our podcast is also sponsored by State Farm Agent Tony Hoagland at champlininsurance.com. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast. You can also go back and listen to the Go Gopher podcast from weeks gone by. It's free to subscribe and free to listen. Our last episode included an interview with Big Ten Network anchor Dave Revson. We talked about Big Ten Conference expansion. It was a good one, and we invite you to listen to some fascinating college sports talk. This week, it's football and golf with former Gopher star linebacker Mark Dusbabek of Faribault. It's the Go Gopher podcast episode 28. We'll hear from Mark but first, a word from Tony. Hey, Gopher fans. This is your State Farm agent, Tony Hoagland. We are super excited to be part of the new Mike Grimm Show on Talk North. For the year of 2022, we will be donating $10 to the University of Minnesota Children's Masonics Hospital for everyone that calls our office or checks in with us online and mentions that they heard about us on Talk North and the Mike Grimm Show. We are really excited again that Mike came on board with Talk North. You can reach us at 763-421-4900. You can find us on the web at champlininsurance.com. Again, 763-421-4900, or find us on the web at champlininsurance.com. Roll the boat, Sky Yuma, go Gophers. We're with former Golden Gopher linebacker Mark Dusbabic from Faribault, Minnesota in the Go Gopher podcast. It's our pleasure we're uh, talking here in uh, Burnsville, Minnesota. This is your home state, but not where you live now, but you're back in town. It's kind of an exciting week for you. Uh, we have to set the stage here. You're an official, like a referee in the PGA Tour, and of course the 3M Open is this week, and uh, that's one of the tournaments you'll be officiating this week. So how good is it to be back in, in your home area and, uh, and actually getting to do some work and catch up with friends and family? It's always great to be back to Minnesota. First of all, thank you. It's um, I, I love being back here. It's it's it is home for me. But but I uh, haven't lived here now in you know probably thirty years. So yeah. so um, but I have so many friends and family here, and and um, I think I need to change my schedule and not work the 3M, so I'm not as busy, and I can just come back and relax and, and enjoy time with friends. But um, I'm trying to squeeze it all in. My wife is flying in Wednesday, so it gives me a couple days to, to try to hit some buddies before she comes in. <laughs> right. That's always good. No, no question. Um, well, let, let's talk about your track uh, to the PGA tur- uh, Tour, because I think it's, uh, it's always kind of cool in, in terms of hearing people's paths and where they got to where they were. And we'll, we're going to talk 
talk about the Gophers and the Vikings and all the great stuff, but I think uh, let's talk present day and how we got to this point. Uh, you played for the Gophers from 83 to 86 after you uh, graduated as a star player from Faribault, played with the with uh, Houston and then the Vikings, and then an injury uh, sent you into the working world. So from that point, take us to how you got to this point here in 2022 as uh, one of the top officials in the PGA. And I'm still dealing with the injury. I had my knee replaced finally. No kidding. Uh, yeah, after about nine surgeries on it over the years, it's uh, it still bothered me. So I got it replaced uh, six months ago. Is, so, it, um, is it better now? Do you feel a difference? Yeah, I feel a difference. I don't know if it's better. <laughs> You're not but, ready uh, to go tackle Daryl Thompson no, yet, huh? No. I could never tackle Daryl in the first place. So <laughs> I just tried to hit him when I could. Yeah, right, right. Um, yeah, so so when I retired and, and I was just having a conversation with uh, my other former teammate Pete Nigerian about this, that uh, you know Pete's gone on to a lot of success in the financial world and and um, and I've always had a, a draw towards finance and when I retired from football I was looking for something to do and trying to find my way and and he and his brother were in Chicago at the Options Exchange and offered me a job out there so I spent a couple years down two th- two three years down there with them. Um, uh, it wasn't really the greatest fit for me. I, I, um, I, I loved learning the business, but then I moved to New York. I was um, had other commitments um, personally f- that, that took me to New York, so I got an institutional brokerage job there and then really wasn't finding my way there and um, moved to L.A., and um, I was I was sitting in a bar and, and talking to a buddy and trying to figure out what I wanted to do, and... and um, decided that uh you know as i look at myself and what i've always loved to do is is be around golf and i grew up at Faribault country club and my dad had me out there caddying and 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 playing in junior golf and and my whole family my four sisters we all played on weekends we played during the day we had junior golf lessons we I, I ran a couple tournaments when I was with the Vikings for charity, and so my vacations were centered around it. Everything was about golf. So I realized, hey, uh, maybe I can do something in golf, but I really don't know anything. So one of my pros that when I was playing with the Vikings, I used to go over to Braemar Country Club mm-hmm. all the time, and and um, and uh, Joe Grupner is name. And, and I called Joe, and Joe put me in touch with the Minnesota Golf Association. The Minnesota Golf Association put me in touch with the Southern California Golf Association, talking to them. I really don't have any experience, so I'll start as a volunteer. So I volunteered for a year and um, and then started uh, realizing all the different avenues within the golf industry. Uh, you have the PGA section, you have the USGA, you have, um, you have the pro side and all the different tours within the pro side. You have the amateur side. And um, so anyway, I, I got my first job and it was back in New York. So I moved back to New York at the, the PGA's Met section and worked a junior golf program for the inner city there. Kind of kind of grew wow. from there. And I went back to Southern Cal for five years and got hired by the PGA Tour. And now you oversee um, many of the tournaments in terms of uh, officiating and rules. And um, and I want to ask you about this in a second in terms of just how, you know, what that job entails. Um, I think I read uh, in, in, in an article that uh, was written about you that there was maybe a book, too, that you read that follows something you love and <laughs> golf was it. Do what it, you love and, and the money will follow. Yeah. And so that's kind of a real life story for you, it maybe? Is, it is. Yeah. I, was, I read a book called Do do what you love and the money will follow. And I loved golf. And so I went into it for free and uh, did committed a year to it. And, um, and my first job, I think, was, um, I want to say 24000 Yeah. And my second job in golf, I think, was 28000 So, 
you know, I didn't do it for the money. It's because I loved the game and I loved giving back. I loved being a part of it. And, and I just knew everything would kind of work out. What I, what I originally wanted to set out to do, because I had, I've always had goals in my life and I've always had direction, um, but I had a kind of a 10-year plan that I wanted to be an executive director of a golf association. And um, that never really happened. I, I wanted to stay in Southern Cal, but I was willing to go to Colorado or somewhere, somewhere closer to mm -hmm. where I was stationed in, in Los Angeles. I got offered the executive director job for the, um, the San Diego County Junior Golf Association or, or the Junior Worlds. And um, I turned that down because I just didn't think it was the right fit at the time. Uh, but everything has worked out. Yeah. yeah. And so now um, here you are as an official. Um, and I wanted to ask you about um, the job, because I think when you think officiating, you and I will watch football and, you know, every play, there's something to be called. Baseball, the ump has to call something. Basketball, every trip up and down. Um, is it similar in golf? I mean, are you actively viewing golfers um, or is it kind of more of a, hey, I've got a question and the golfer will, a pro golfer will come out and, um, you know, and ask you a question or how does that work? It's both. It's both. Um, this is my 17th year with the PGA Tour now. So, you you have probably eight guys work a golf tournament and you cover areas. Well, first of all, you have your chief referee who oversees the whole rules competition side. You have your advance official who goes in a week before the tournament and he'll mark the entire golf course. So that's where it separates golf from other professional referees is that we actually don't have a set parameters for our field we have different ones and we have to define those boundaries. We have to mark those penalty areas. We have to decide what's going to be abnormal conditions and and we have to write a local rules for, for what's gonna apply for this golf tournament only, this golf course. So so we have that advanced official do that and we we broke it up to where every official, there's I think 14 of us on, on staff, everyone has approximately four advances that they, right. that they're tournaments that they kind of own and, and operate themselves. And then the other officials come in, and then you assign another official to set up the front nine, another official to set up the back nine. So that's also different from other sports, is that we're setting up, we're making it when you have a whole location that you don't like, or we have, we moved a tee up for a specific reason, and be maybe it's weather or related or something like that. So, so yeah, we're more involved with it. So then we would sit in an area and we listen to the radio. We have our shot link, which is part of the PGA Tour uh, department, um, and they have their walking scorekeepers who notify us if there's a ruling needed in three fairway, and you go out there and and ask the player what's what's going on, right. what's happening, what do you need help with. Otherwise, you sit there and you do your it looks like you're sitting under the tree and trying to stay out of the sun, but <laughs> however you what you're doing is you're actually wa watching and monitoring play. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so your your pace of play is a big deal depending on the field size, um, you're always watching and monitoring pace of play. My job has shifted quite a bit now in the last year and a half, so I don't do as much of that on the on the golf course as I used to, but it's still it's the core of probably our officiating business is to make sure that the pace is going and the pace and setting up the golf course and yep. and and handling rulings in the field gotcha and i would think that there are um i suppose you have a a few guys on the tour that are maybe you know there's a red flag these guys are notoriously slow so maybe you keep an extra eye there and guys that are fast and sometimes if they get paired i'm sure there becomes some some conflict so how do you handle a situation like that when you have to go you know tell a team or a twosome or, or what have you that um, 
we got to get we got to get rolling here, guys. In fact, before you got here, I was looking at my phone <laughs> because I had an email come through. Is that the field for the 3M, and it notifies me of who's on our observation list? Who are the people who are over the 45 second limit that we allow to play a shot? So, so we can we can highlight those people and keep an eye on those people coming through. We already know who they are, yeah. so it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, but that just com confirms on, on the times. These are all time stamped as far as when they're playing. Listen, it's just business. You know, I've, I've had to go out and, and, and time um, a friend of mine, Tim Heron, when he was sure. on, our, our, on our tour. And, um, and his caddy was, was complaining about about how they shouldn't be timed and and Tim just looked at him and said hey man he just he's right. he's just doing his job so <laughs> right that's just part of the job and then I suppose the other uh, one of the other I shouldn't say the other but another part we see this sometimes you'll show up on TV right uh, and in fact Spencer Tollickson who I do basketball games with um, on the radio former Gopher I mentioned to him that uh, we were going to be taping this podcast and uh, and this is kind of funny to me he had no idea that you were from here he had no idea you were a Gopher football player he's a big golf guy he's like How'd you get him? How, 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 how's, why is Mark doing something? And I was like, well, he's Teresa. We know Teresa, of course, your sister, a brother, and he's from Faribault, and he played with Daryl, and he's like, Mark Dusbabic, really? He had no idea. But so you're known for that as well. But occasionally, you'll have to, you know, Jim Nance will say, "Hey, Mark, uh, what happened out on?" And you'll have a ruling uh, explanation. More often, though, we'll just see you with a walkie-talkie, and some player will be there wondering about a lie: Can he move the ball? Can he drop whatever? So, uh, how much is that of your job, and how often, um, and how tricky can that be to have to explain to a player what the what the ruling might be? So I've transitioned now into this new position, where the new position is now the TV rules analyst and the um, video TV rules and, and video analyst right. is what it is and so so I'm trying to um, build on the on the um, the TV rules just like other sports they have a, a rules analyst that sits there and it handles any calls that they may see for TV so I am doing that role right. now so that's primarily my job um, so I don't have to be in the field as much um, um, and then what I'm trying to do is set up the whole video review system that we're going to have built in in our headquarters in Ponte Vedra Beach. So right. that's going to cover all of our tournaments. Hopefully it will be within a year or two, but we're going to have people monitoring screens. And, and um, you know, I just met with a guy from the NHL uh, a few weeks ago to discuss how they do it and, and try to learn from them and, and build it into our PGA Tour thing. But But as far as doing a ruling, I mean, that's... That's uh, for TV. It's a little bit more difficult because when Jim brings me in, I yeah. better know the answer, and yeah. and uh, and I'm hoping that uh, it all goes clean. And the rule book's what, like almost 600 pages? It's it's a it's a big document. Um, when you get into all the interpretations of the rules, um, come almost like case studies of it. So so yeah, it's it's hard. It's it's taken a lot of years of studying it. Sometimes you go blank. You're on the road a lot, and, and you're, you're, you're in time changes, and, and you may be um, not thinking clearly that right. day. And um, so you always have your radio to, to go to somebody else for help, but, um, but when you're on TV, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> so. yeah. So you, you, you better know, right? That, that's, and and I, I guess as a sidebar uh, to that, um, the times on the, on the tour when you've had to make a ruling like that, um, and, and in essence, isn't, I mean, pretty much the rules are cut and dried. There's some interpretation. Um, ha have, have you ever had a case where um, 
after the tournament you find out, man, I ruled that incorrectly, or is it just such a cut and dried? You, you, you're on the money most of the time. As much as you'd like it to be black and white, there's a lot of gray. Yeah. And so sometimes you have to give, you have to make a decision, and it could be right, it could be wrong. But yeah, there's. Listen, there isn't a referee out there in any sport that hasn't made a mistake. So. Um, you just hope you minimize them. You hope you don't have them very frequently, and you hope it doesn't cost the player anything. So, yeah, I've had to go to players before and tell them that, hey, man, I, I shouldn't have given you relief there. Um, I was, that was yeah. on me, and, and this is actually what the ruling is. But it hasn't been anything, yeah. knock on wood, too serious so far. So. Yeah. Because, you know, I suppose, if, like, if it's an ump in baseball and you call a strike, a ball, or vice versa, the pitcher might get mad or the batter might get mad, but then there's a pitch immediately. But, you know, if you happen in golf, I mean, if you're, uh, you know, maybe having to give a penalty, I mean, two strokes could be the difference for uh, a big kind of payday, right? right. So it, it could be that your decision might have a bigger impact than a block charge on a, you know, middle of the second half of a basketball game, right? Normally it wouldn't be something that would involve a penalty, though. It would be more of whether you gave him relief or gotcha. not. And that would be the gray area. And and that can be a decision that the, the referee in the field has to make that decision. There was a situation last year in Memphis, I remember, I was in the TV booth and and uh, our, our referee at the time was Ken Tackett doing the ruling with Bryson DeChambeau. And I remember it looked really bad. It looked bad, but it was the correct ruling. Mm -hmm. And trying to let the people know, and I know social media can blow up on things, but right. honestly, they don't know the rules. So, right. so trying to interpret it and um, from Ken's side and, and trying to explain it to the viewer, you know, you do your best you can, but, but people have to understand that you're making the right ruling. It just doesn't look good because you don't, you maybe don't like that player. You yeah. don't like the reason that, yeah. that yeah, it, and I guess that's another uh, question too, in terms of, you know, having um, you, you have to, you know, you have to handle it in a diplomatic way. But sometimes you have to be the bearer of bad news. Sometimes if a player wants relief and isn't sure, and you give it to them, I'm sure they're thankful as well. Um, but are there? How careful do you have to be about? Um, being too buddy-ish with, with some golfers, but at the same time, I mean, you know, knowing them or, or even socializing with them, is there is there a guideline there for, for officials that, on that line? For for all the young officials that have come up, right now the, our officials to be a re referee on the PGA Tour, you have to work the Corn Ferry first, and then the Corn Ferry you'd move up to the PGA yep. Tour. You kind of cut your teeth, so to speak, and, and come up and get some experience with us. Um, you're, as I told one of the younger guys, is that you need to get to know these people because you're going to be with them for 20 years. Mm -hmm. so, so you might as well have a relationship. You don't have to be friends with them, and you probably shouldn't be friends with them, but you'd be able to sit down, have lunch with them, have, have breakfast with them, and talk to them, and, and, um, and talk about something outside of golf. Yeah. You know, just... Maybe the kid went to University of Minnesota, like Eric Von Ruin. Sure. So, so um, you want to talk to them and just just get to know them, so you can address them on a personal level when you go and do the ruling, mm -hmm. and they know that you're not, you don't have anything against them. It's just it's just a business. It's the just, rule. You're trying to do a rule, and you're yeah. trying to make the best. I'm sorry, it's, it goes against you on this but I can't do anything about it. But I think it's important that you don't cross that line. You're not buddies with them. You're never going to be buddies with them, but that's okay. But you do have a working relationship with them yeah. and you, you'll see them every week. You'll see them, you know, they'll, they'll address you in the airports and, and hotels or whatever. You may be staying at the same places, but um, 
Yeah, there's a fine line there, sure. and uh, I I just prefer not to cross it. And and from that angle, is generally most of the guys. I'm not going to ask you to hey, who are the real jerks, but generally, uh, is is it most of the guys handle the situations pretty well? Yeah, yeah. There's 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 golfers. Listen, I, I've I've told golfers that um, who have complained about things. I don't care if you bitch. Yeah. I don't care if you if you want to get mad at me or, or whatever I was an emotional player too yeah. and so I don't mind if you give emotions in golf we, we tend to want to internalize everything and, and hold it all within that's not healthy either I don't care if you go off on me yeah. but just know if you go if you cross the line and I've done this and I go meet them in scoring yeah. and um, and I'm going to give a piece of my mind to them yeah. and they're not going to like it they, they won't enjoy that part of it for sure <laughs> but it changes their relationship with me later where they yeah. respect me now and sure. that's all I want I want them just to respect me yeah no, I no, respect them no no question and, and golf is too right a, a, maybe a more unique sport I think um, I'm not saying that in other sports people are willing cheaters but maybe you know you try to gain an edge even on the rules where in golf uh, in general general it seems especially at the pro level the the integrity is such a key part where guys will issue their own penalties on themselves yeah. without even maybe bringing you in or wanting to make sure hey I before I hit this I want to make sure and it's almost a, a some self-governance there uh, which is different right than football or basketball or anything else it seems right. where you're trying to maybe take advantage of, of a rule and I'm not saying every golfer is that way but it seems most have that 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 edge that way to them yeah, nobody's going to cheat out there. But, for instance, my dad, is a he watches golf 24-7. Yeah. So he asked me a question the other day that he saw somebody mark their ball and lift it off the putting green. He said, well, you know, that's not allowed. Why would, why would they do it? I said, Dad, everybody's watching. He, they wouldn't have done it if, if it wasn't for a reason. Now, these are the reasons why they would have done it. So it had to have been one of those. You're just not aware of, of what the situation was. Mm-hmm. But nobody would blatantly go out and do that. It's right. just not it's just not what happens. Yeah, and I, I know there's been times, too, where accidentally, um, I remember because I follow Zach Johnson quite a bit, he had that uh, situation. He ended up winning the tournament for him, luckily, and I think it was a colonial where he marked with his putter and then forgot to remark. He put it he put it on the mark itself right. so luckily he was he won by three shots it's a two-shot penalty he holds on and wins but um that's a, that's the other thing people watching on tv I, I i get a little bit of a kick out of it because you think about we'll watch the gophers play football and i'm announcing the game and i'll sometimes say well that's a hold i want to call in and you know but in golf it really does happen people will call in and you can retroactively issue a ruling on a play right so so yeah not not so much anymore but we don't take the call-ins like that but <laughs> but that what you're referring to is Zach Johnson. Uh, we were in the in the our rules trailer was was just left of the 18th green there at Colonial, and so yeah. we saw it on TV. Yep. Called the official who was right there at the green to go out and tell Zach, "You need to put the, the ball back, or put the mark back." So you could. Uh, I'll tell you a funny story real quick about Zach. <laughs> Zach, I love Zach, but um, Zach called me for a ruling on the uh, 16th green at, at Augusta. Um, two years ago and um, so I went out there for the ruling and it was a very simple ruling but but we sat there and we were talking and and he's asking me questions and and um, I came in later that day and one of the people from Augusta from the tournament side asked me he said you know I saw I couldn't hear the audible side of it what, what, what he was asking you but you guys talked for a long time what did he want I said well he just was 
he was just rubbing it in because Iowa beat Minnesota oh, last man. Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Had to, you had to pour salt in the wound. Yeah, probably. we got to win the pig this year yeah. so you can get to get back at him in football for sure. That's uh, uh, It's interesting because I, I grew up in Iowa and Zach's grandparents actually went to the, to the church I went to. His dad and I graduated from high school many years apart, but the same high school. So that's why I follow him and why I remember that ruling. And, and he seems like a good guy. He's going to be the Ryder Cup captain, which is pretty cool in, in Italy. Guy. I think next summer, right? But yeah. um, that's a that 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 story doesn't surprise me because I do know that he uh, he follows that team down there for sure, and um, so he calls you out for a ruling and has to rub it in that uh, that the uh, Hawkeyes beat the Gophers. Unbelievable, unbelievable. Well, let's get the pig this this yeah. uh, this September. I guess it's November, and we'll uh, then you can ask him about that. By the way. Sure. You know, Zach, you are playing at the Masters right now. Yeah. You need to concentrate. <laughs> yeah, let's worry about the 16th uh, green here, right? No, no, no doubt. Uh, so it's moved away a little from the call-in TV uh, because there's just so much more access to to, right. to to see things. Right. Sometimes we can see something or sometimes one of our representatives um, can call us and tell us that they saw something. So that's, that's something. But as far as the general public, we used to... We used to handle all that stuff, and it, yeah. it just got to be uh, chase, chasing a lot of, uh, you know, uh, erroneous things. So. Right, and maybe once in every now and then you, it happens. I always got a kick when I heard, I'm like, well, how do they know even what number to call? Like, who do you call? Like, exactly. If you see something and somehow somebody figures it out. But now social media does offer the opportunity, right, for anybody to have a voice. And so does that ever impact? Do you ever get a, like, whether it's a, twi- a tweet or a social media posting that, hey, this was, you guys should check this out? First of all, I am not on social media, so I will not. <laughs> That's uh, good, right? Yeah, I, I refuse to go on it because I don't want to hear. Um, yeah, like I said, people don't understand what is actually going on. I think it would be best if we had um, a social media account that we could share what actually happened. Rulings? Actually, yeah. yeah. Like actually, NHL has that right now. Yeah, and know. I'm actually working on one of those right yeah. now. I'm working with the PJ Tour to form something like this right now where we have a voice that goes immediately to social media to let everybody know what the ruling was and why it, why it was what it you know, and who, mm-hmm. the, who the official was. So if there is some form of, uh, you know, follow up on it, you know, this is the official, this is who you can contact from our right. media department and we can get an answer. Yeah. So so it's, it's, it's more transparency from our part and I think that would be really good. There's many times that we go do a ruling we, um, we drive underneath the rope and, uh, and go out and do a ruling with, um, you know, with Tiger Woods over sure. on the right-hand side, which no spectators are over there. You come back and everybody wants to know, what was it? What was it? What, yeah. what, what was the ruling you just gave? You know, that would be more transparency where we can give sure. that public information. Just just to explain it. And, yeah. and uh, generally, then it would, I would think, help everyone with I their, with their rule knowledge, too. Um, you mentioned Tiger, um, and, and I, you don't have to specifically talk about him, but um, are there, have you over the years ever had any, like, big run-ins with anybody? Or has it, have, have you been able to kind of maintain a good, you know, where, there's, where a player was just adamant that what you wanted to have happen was not the right ruling? Um, yeah, but it was more about pace of play, I think, mm-hmm. where, where I have to time the group. So yeah. there's, a, there's a financial penalty to these players um, if they get timed so many times or worn so many times during the year. And, and it can be extensive and enough to, to affect them. So they want to um, – they're, they're very cautious or they're very cognizant of, um, of how many times they've been timed. But like I said, once again, it's, it's a matter of 
I know what the information is. I can see we've been talking about this group for two holes. I've been watching them for two holes. I know who the slow player is. I've been timing him on my own and know what his times yeah. are. When I step in to time them, there's no question that you deserve it. You've got the facts. I I got the facts. And so if they want to complain and and they they make a scene of it, what I usually try to do to diffuse it is that, you know, I'm happy to talk to you in scoring afterwards. Mm -hmm. And so then I'll clear everybody out of the scoring. He and I can go at it and we can um, we can just. But listen, once again, it's just I'm just doing my job. Right, exactly. You got to do yours. I'll do mine. Yeah, yeah. And is it usually if you do have a run in of some sort that, like, like has anybody ever carried or any? And you don't have to mention names, but have you had issues where players have just continued to think you're out to get them, or has it usually been smoothed over in one way, shape, or form? Over um, the... No, I've never had that. I think other p- officials have. But yeah. That that's where I try to to help the younger guys where they need to establish these relationships. Not friendships, but just relationships. Right. And I think that you can, it goes a long way to be able to address somebody and talk to them and, and get it. There, there's a couple, um, we were in Puerto Rico earlier this year and there's uh, some corn ferry officials that were with us. And I was trying to get them to understand this concept that we had a very, um, very uh, loud person that was playing that really, really was adamant and he he refused the ruling from this official that because he didn't know that person he wanted to speak to me because he was i was the one that he knew Mm -hmm. i met with him talked to him explained the whole ruling he understood it then i went back to this younger official to tell him that you know you need to go talk to them you need to have this relationship because he thinks that you don't know what you're doing so you need to establish that 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 history with them um, as as you have now um, you know gotten this experience and, and established this professional uh, you know relationships as well um, now it becomes how you know how often do you how many do you work every tournament I mean that's a long season now so what is the schedule like for you we have uh, approximately 46 events I think and um, as I mentioned the the advanced role I still do advance two two events I advance Maui and I advance um, the tournament in Japan so um, other than that, I do, I do approximately um, 13 or 14 of the CBS um, broadcast ones for the TV side. Mm-hmm. I do four of the NBC ones for the broadcast side. And then I, 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 when it's all said and done, I worked 24 weeks. Gotcha. So, so um, it's enough where you might work two, three weeks in a row especially since I live on the West Coast. It's easy for me to yep. to go to Palm Springs, San Diego, Pebble Beach, L.A., Riviera. So um, I love working the West Coast Swing yeah. um, and the Hawaii events. Yeah. yeah, good one on advance, right, to, to Maui? Oh, yeah. I, do you, it's Christmas away, but oh, hey, man. where would I want to right. so. <laughs> do you, Now, do you, uh, you know, because I used to, when I was in St. Louis, I used to cover spring training, and I'd go down to Jupiter, and there was the Honda was always during that time down there, uh, which is a sidebar, but everyone would say, oh, man, you get to go to spring training. I'm like, well, yeah, I'm waking up at 6 in the morning because the players do their interviews in the morning, and I got to get audio and do interviews for my show, which is at 8 o'clock Eastern time that night, and it's not a vacation. So um, I jokingly or joked with you a little bit about, oh, you get to go to Maui. Do you, though, at least at some point get some free time to either hit the beach or no. go have a nice meal? Time. Is it just is it a work the whole – and I don't, people probably tease you about that. They think you're just out, oh, you walk the golf course, but you're sitting you're in this advanced role. That is that, that my, seems like that's hard work. I, my wife, Trish, um, has, has, has traveled with me. She'll go to the great ones like yeah, Maui. Sure. I, I don't go to Maui without her. Yeah. Well, she's gone to Japan with me. She's gone to England with me. But 
she'll go to these tournaments and it provides me an opportunity or a reason to stay after for another week afterwards sure. or something if I have the week off. And we go, then go sightseeing. Yep. Or we'll do something, we'll go in a couple days early or we'll, during the week, it's, it's, I'm up at 4.30 in the morning and, and I'm going until it, goes, it gets dark and mm -hmm. so there's no time. It's not, it's not a fun week, it's, not, it's, not, uh, it's all business, it's all work, uh, long hours. Um, I, I, and there's so many time changes from the West Coast that you are trying, it takes you two, three days just to adjust to the time zone. Right. Um, I remember one time I was working in Malaysia and, and my mom was sick at the time and, and I got a call from my dad at, at, I was like two in the morning and, and I'm, oh my God, you know, something happened to my mom and I, dad, what's wrong? What's wrong? He goes, oh, nothing's wrong. I'm just calling to tell you the Gophers beat Nebraska. <laughs> <laughs> Which is big news. That's okay, big news. It's two in the morning. It's two here. in the morning here. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, yeah. I would see. Yeah. So the time change can can. That's a good one. Uh, but you were happy, I suppose, once uh, once you got great. the news, yeah. right? Yeah. Exactly. Um, and then um, from that standpoint, you you've got the the twenty four tournaments. What is a typical day now? As you so you've shifted more into the TV thing. So what would a you know a Saturday at Augusta be like then for you? Well, Augusta's different because okay. Augusta, I'm a guest official. Gotcha. So okay. I will be a rover on the front nine or the back nine. I will be in a cart. We have we have referees from the USGA and the PGA of America who sit at holes, and they'll they'll handle rulings that that happen to be near them. We will handle pace of play. The PGA Tour officials and we'll be in carts and we'll go out and we'll do pace of play. We'll time the players if they're slow. Um, or we'll come in and do second opinions. A lot of times at, at a major, um, there'll be second opinions because the players don't know the official that's given them the ruling. Sure. So there's they're not that trust factor or their, the belief factor. So they like to go with somebody that they, 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 they recognize. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, that happens, and we, uh, we, that's most of my rulings at Augusta. This week, my, I will go into tomorrow morning on Tuesday, and I will be... Um, I'll, I'll go from, from probably 8.30 until 5 o'clock. Um, it'll be meetings. It'll be driving the golf course, getting familiari familiarized with, with what rule situations are out there, the temporary removable obstructions, um, how are we going to help um, um, solidify or, or finalize the rules, the, the local rules for this event. Uh, Wednesday will be the Pro-Am. I'll go in super early that day, 5.30 probably, and... Um, and stay there throughout, but we'll have a couple meetings that day as well. And then Thursday, Friday, it'll be the same thing. It'll be a 5.30 arrival until the, the last ball falls. Um, then Saturday and Sunday, it'll be a little easier for me because I'll go into the TV, the edit right. truck, and, and I'll work. In a typical tournament, how many times might you talk about a ruling on the air then? Saturday, not as much as Sunday. Sunday, it's usually, um, you know, there's there's a lot of things I'm doing behind the scenes, but as far as TV is concerned, like CBS, I will be on maybe maybe once or twice a yeah, day. Yeah. But but I am communicating. I'm looking at all the screens yep. of all the holes, and I'm communicating to our officials and helping them out with 
what what a, where the ball just went and i see they're searching over here on number five they're they, they're going to request an official this is where the ball is i can see where it is i can see where it went blah 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 yeah so. that's crazy it's it's awesome too i mean I'm, I'm so fascinated by it all so now you get i guess your home state tournament here the 3m open now what did that start in 2018 2019 um of course it was a champions or tour champions event before that um we mentioned already that how how busy it can be because you got i'm sure friends and former gopher teammates i think you got dinner with ray hitchcock it sounds like uh coming up as well one of our all-time favorites um but then it becomes the business of, of of golf but do you take a moment to say this is great for minnesota golf it's great for my home state and it's great for you uh, as a minnesota to be back uh, you know officiating here oh yeah absolutely I, I love it in fact i i um I, I want to see more people like uh, Randall McDaniel. I can't wait to see him. I'll, I'll pro probably see him out there at some point. And, and Rich Gannon, I think, is going to be out there as well. So, so um, I look forward to seeing those guys and just catching up. Um, it's it's it's. Um, but you're here to work, and, yeah. and and it's just so great for the state of Minnesota because I know growing up here how important golf is here, and I know how much people love golf here. And, and I just am glad to see that the PGA Tour finally recognized that and understands that we have a huge market here. And we have, whether it's the Fortune 500 companies or the popularity of the sport with, with uh, the general public here. But um, they need to stay here. They need to continue to grow it here. Um, so there's a plethora of great golf courses to play here. Yep. Uh, whether you're going up north, uh, we used to do family vacations up in the Brainerd area, and yeah. it had to center around where the golf course was, or some of my friends who are members at various clubs here that yeah. I get to go enjoy. And obviously with the Ryder Cup in 2016, and then uh, another one coming up, were you were you involved? Do you get involved with the Ryder Cup? Do you get to take part? What a great event, right? Yeah, the Ryder Cup is run by the PGA of America and the um, well, the DP World Tour now, but yeah. now that we've had a little um, a buy-in with uh, a partnership with the DP, um, so we are going down that road. I don't know. We probably will have an involvement later, but mm -hmm. right now it's it's their event, and yeah. um, so I don't work. That so, way. but you have you been able to watch or attend? Some? Oh, I've, yeah. I've never attended. I, I'd really. You know, it's when I travel 200 some days a year that I want it's to go good to a not, golf It's trip. good to watch on TV sometimes. But right? I will yeah. watch, yeah, because yeah. I'm a golf fan. I'm a golf. Right. I'm a. I love the game of golf, and so I, I will. I, I sat there all day yesterday and watched with my dad the the Open Championship. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, I'm still a fan of it. Um, and so that, I think 2029, I think it was 28, but COVID has pushed everything back here. So I think that's back to uh, the Ryder Cup is back to Minnesota here in, in, in 2029. Uh, uh, um, you, you mentioned you love I golf. I might be retired by then. You, so. might be. <laughs> well, then, then you could, uh, yeah, you could maybe even, even come and attend it. Um, is, is, um, did you, were you a golfer? You mentioned you golfed when you were growing up. Were you a good golfer? Do you still golf? Do you still swing the sticks? Is that kind of why you had the passion for the game i um i was decent i mean i wouldn't say i was great i was yeah. i've always kept a single handy single digit handicap i got down to as low as 1.2 i think was Ooh. my lowest yeah and um and but listen these guys that are out here are just beyond it's crazy I, right? but i was more of a recreational buddy um, golf, yeah, not so. What do you think fed into your your uh, your feeling of passion to the game and to to lead you to this path to to do what you're doing now? I think it's still just the the competitive uh, sports background that yeah. I have. I'm I'm, uh, I'm very competitive, and I like the I like the challenge of putting it all on me and trying to 
play play a certain way and 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 putting the pressure on myself to um, to perform. Yeah. Speaking of that competitive nature, so you grew, you grew up in Faribault, star high school football player, uh, and you go to Minnesota, and you know smaller town kid. Can he play in the Big Ten? And all you do is you go in and earn a starting job as a freshman, right? Yeah, well, Joe Salem was the coach at the time, and they weren't going to give me a scholarship. In fact, Ray Hitchcock and I were the two, the last two scholarships I gave mm-hmm. in 1983. And, and so I, he, I remember came, I came from my visit, and um, uh, he was going to have me walk on, and I told him I wasn't walking on. If I said, I'm, I'm walking on at Michigan. I've already been talking to Coach Schembechler, Shem, and, and I'm walking on at Michigan. And, and he goes, well, if I gave you a scholarship, will you come? And I said, yeah, okay. Yeah. So it, it all worked you, out. That was a good poker hand you had there, wasn't it? That was great. That <laughs> it was, was a true <laughs> It was true. That's good. So so you start as a freshman, and then you, you work along. You, you become teammates with Ray Hitchcock. Our, our buddy Daryl Thompson is around as well. I think you're, what, a year or two older than him or closer to the I same think I'm age? two years older. Two years him. older. And um, and you work your way into a starting spot. Lou Holtz shows up. Uh, how did that change? And what are some of your, your favorite memories as a, as a Golden? go for a four-year letter winner um you know i think it's mostly the friendships and the relationships i had in mm-hmm. fact when my daughter who, who, um, sasha went to cal and um and she was nervous going off to school and and um and she went to this private school in north hollywood and and i told her that your best friends that you have in your life will come from college mm-hmm. They'll come because you have relationships with them and you'll go through so much more in your life with them and you'll have them everlasting Ray Hitchcock, Daryl Thompson, Dave Williams, Pete Nigerian, Eric Flores, those are my best friends. Mm-hmm. They, 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 we, we lived together for, for four or five years together, and, um, and we went through a lot together. Lou Holtz, um, I ran into him at the uh, Tahoe Celebrity event uh, years ago, and, and hadn't seen him since he, he left for Notre Dame in 1985, and hadn't spoken to him since. But we had a long talk together, and we exchanged phone calls and emails for then every year after that and I, I just you know we I just appreciated the things that as a coach and as a teacher he was and what he did for me personally not not related to football mm-hmm. it was more of a mentoring thing and my coach Bishop Harris who was my linebacker coach at the Gophers he I still stay in touch with him and um, it's the things that they did for me um, that helped me through life that was more appreciative. And so that's what I look as. My mother was a kindergarten teacher for 40 years, and I think that a coach is the same way. You can influence people in so many positive ways and how you can affect them in their life beyond that short little span in their life where they're mm-hmm. playing football, which in the grand scheme of things can can mold your way for, for life, but, but it's not the most important thing. Lou Holtz used to say, yeah, we lost the game, but there are billions of people around the world that have never even never even knew you even played. Right. So, look at it that way. Yeah, and um, and of course he went on to Notre Dame. Was that was that a um, was that a shot? Uh, I mean, did that hurt when he decided to leave? Because it, I, I remember it as well. I mean, that I mean the, the the program was starting to get some buzz, right? I mean, I think the spring game sold out, and then um, it's the one place I think that he had a an escape clause. So how did that? How did you and your teammates handle that? Yeah, it it hurt. It hurt because we did finally get some momentum where we were starting to be a, um, a big deal within the Big Ten and we were always a laughing stock for in the first couple of years so so we were we were on the cusp of breaking through and I think that it did it did hurt us then 
Um, heard recruiting, he was a fabulous recruiter. Mm-hmm. Like people like Ricky Foggy coming from South Carolina. Right. I mean, come on. Um, many kids from, from Texas or California or Ohio or Pennsylvania, we're getting some of the best people. And, and it was no longer, it was no longer um, what it was before. So that hurt us and we, and we took a step back, I think. So I think that us, like Ray and myself, uh, that, that group that were seniors, you know, it hurt us because we were really looking forward to, we paid our dues, we're really looking forward to busting through and making a big deal. And then it just kind of suddenly came to a stop. Yeah, because it was hard, right, to uh, just just to kind of zap some momentum and nothing against the guys that took over. But Lou was Lou. That was a, He was a little different guy that was able to kind of build stuff, right? Well, I think it was the persona. Um, you know, we heard all the stories a million times, and 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 but but his his persona and his relationship in the in the in the business community, um, and like I said, the recruiting aspect, he was able to pull people from all over. John Gudikins, who took over for him, is who we petitioned to have take the right. job. Um, uh, he later, I, I remember one of my teammates, Norris Wilson, went off to be the head coach at Columbia, and um, Norris was a great player. I love Norris. Yeah, I love Norris. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and uh, Norris had John Gudikins on his staff there, so I went over in New York and met with them. Um, it just it just wasn't the same, though. It wasn't the same because of the cachet that went with, with Lou Holtz. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Norris is, of course, on uh, P.J. Fleck staff now as the kind of overseas alumni and some player development stuff, and um, I always get a kick out of him. He's a he's a pretty cool dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah no doubt. All right, so 86, you guys beat Michigan. You and and uh, Ricky Foggy, he makes the big run in the fourth quarter. Chip Lowmiller, right, kicks the field goal. Ray Christensen says there's pandemonium on the field. Um which is exciting for everybody, but I've now got some sources that tell me for the Deuce Bobic family, that might not even have been the most <laughs> exciting thing that happened at uh, Michigan Stadium that day. So you have to tell us this story. Oh, this is a great story. <laughs> I, I had played a really good game. and, um, and Your after- sister told me it was your, she thought it might have been your best game as a gopher. Would you concur? Uh, I don't think so, no. Okay, all right. Who said that, Teresa? Yeah. Yeah. She said Michigan State, I think, was my best. Michigan State, all right. Well, so maybe a top game. Certainly a great win, right? I got interviewed by Sports Illustrated afterwards, which to me was. Was the top, right? Yeah. So, so I remember coming out of the stadium and, and after the interview, and I thought I played a good game, and my sister Julie comes running up to me, and, um, and I think she's going to congratulate me, yeah. right? And she says, Mark, 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 Dad just beat up somebody in the stands. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently after Chip kicked the field goal, um, you know, my sisters, my, my mom and dad, who traveled to every game, that was great to see them at every game with Daryl's parents, and... And uh, Ray Hitchcock's dad was there, and right next to my dad. And and uh, Rayburn Hitchcock was an attorney, and and he was right there supporting my dad because this guy pushed my sister down, and my dad grabbed him and, and had him around the neck and and had it cocked. My dad was a former Golden Gloves boxer and was ready to take the guy out. So um, yeah, it was quite the deal in Michigan Stadium. Oh man! So the Michigan guy was not happy. The Gophers won, and he was taking it out on your sister. <laughs> yeah, right. He pushed my sister down. And your dad said that's enough. And the guy got the raw, bad end of the deal, right, it sounds right. like. You don't Man, mess with my dad. That's something else. That is something else. Daryl also mentioned that I had to ask you about that because he told me that um, his dad, because you mentioned that the, 
your parents and Daryl's parents would go to games together, road games and stuff, and hang out at home games. And he's like, he goes, much to my dad's amazement, uh, Mark's dad beat the dude up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this, this, yeah, George George Thompson and 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 um, and his wife and my mom and dad would would. It was great because they could share riding. My dad had a van, and, and they all jumped in the car on Friday and took off for the games. And they got to see a lot of great stadiums, and and that was a, a, a treat to them. Yeah, and and build these great. You mentioned like college. You know, your college friends become your friends for life, and then um, it, it's fun how that kind of works out too. Those two couples would have never probably met and became good friends. That's right. Right. That's right. Pretty cool. All right. So you go from the Gophers, you get drafted in the NFL to Houston and then uh, make your way back to Minnesota. You become a starter for the Vikings. Um, take us through your time with uh, with the Purple. So I was um, I had two long years in Houston. My first year I got hurt and um, so I was on injury reserve. The second year I was healthy and they wouldn't play me, and so I was I was frustrated, and I wanted to play. Um, they had then started in night that was 1980. After the 88 season, they started for the first year Plan B free agency. So I became um, a free agent. Um, Houston wanted to sign me under the table, and I just wasn't comfortable with it, and I wasn't sure if that would be mm-hmm. if I could trust them. I guess so. So. Um, I went to about five or six teams to see uh, what my value was or what opportunities I had. Um, Minnesota was not um, was not that interested, and um, they, they Monty Kiffin was the linebacker coach. Pete Carroll was the defensive coordinator or was the uh, defensive back coach. So they had a great staff. Jerry Burns was awesome, um, but Bill Parcells wanted me the most at the Giants. Yep. He was at the Giants. He had me out there. He was offering me the most money, um, and but he just made it frank. He said, "Listen, you, you're not going to start. You're going to be behind Lawrence Taylor and and Carl Banks. So you're but you're going to be here for a long time. You're just going to be a backup. But I really want you. So on the last day of signing, I, I left my mom and dad's house in Faribault and I drove up to the airport and. I met my agent, Barty Harris, there, and, um, and we were flying to New York. We, we, it was the last day of signing, and I had to meet Parcells in New York that, that afternoon. Barney uh, decided to call the Vikings one last time and just see what they, um, if they would change their mind. And they, um, they matched the offer of, of New York, and so I made a decision at the time that I think my chances to play would be more at Minnesota. It had nothing to do with being home because I know that can be sometimes an element sure. that could drive you down the wrong way. And and after my bad two years in Houston, all I wanted to do was have a chance and I didn't want to be distracted or, or um, taken away from what the importance of trying to play. So um, I chose it because I thought it was the best opportunity for me. I, it was it was the best chance I had to play, and it worked out well. Yeah, and yeah. you started and, start. and had an impact. And then injuries, like, uh, and at that time, in like the medicine has gotten so much better now, right. surgeries and, and, and everything, and you blow out a knee now, and gosh, guys are back in seven, eight months. But back then, if it was the wrong kind of knee injury, it – that was it, right? Yeah, you just, you know, everybody's body heals differently too. And um, I, for some reason, I could not, I could not shake it. And I just, every time I would try to, I went, I, I switched doctors and I went to this knee, um, uh, Dr. Stedman up in Vail, Colorado. And I spent almost, almost seven, eight months there trying to 
rehab my knee and get it and get it better and and it just would always tear something again it would always cause me issues um so I realized that uh, the, I, I got a couple offers after the Vikings released me. I got a couple offers from, from Detroit and, and Tampa, and um, I couldn't pass a physical, so that was the end of the story. That so was that's, it. That's then, find a new job. And it was on to the Nigerians in Chicago, <laughs> and before you know it, you're doing the golf tournaments, right? Life has a certain way of, of, <laughs> of sending you in the direction it's supposed to go. You, so. you mentioned Monty Kiffin and Pete Carroll and Jerry Burns. What were those guys like? Uh, obviously, they all had you know pretty good success. Um, well, you have any uh, good stories? Well, leaving, or? leaving living in, in in Los Angeles for almost 25 years now, I, I got to know Pete mm-hmm. and and Monty. Um, obviously when they were at the Vikings, but I stayed in touch with them when they were at USC. And um, listen, I've always wanted, I, I, I love those guys and I love the way they think. And, and I used to I used to pick their brain all the time because I wanted to be a coach. Mm-hmm. That's what I wanted to do when I finished. I wanted to be a football coach. And and I had talked to um, Mike Diamond was our, was our um he wasn't the general manager. Maybe he was the general manager. Yeah, yeah. VP yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So I yeah. always talk to him about, hey, when I retire, man, I want to get hired by you guys. I want to be. I want to go into like the Scott Studwell role. Sure. Scott was my yeah. idol, and um, and I wanted to take that on. It didn't end up that way, but I always picked their brains because they were so creative, so innovative, and and I loved their their thinking on how they would break down and. An offense, or, and and yeah. and how to how to attack them. <laughs> you mentioned Studwell. Of course, he's he, he still does stuff. I mean, he, I think he still might have an office at the at the uh, new facility too. I don't think he's in the day to day stuff anymore. And um, what was he like? Did he uh, did, did he help uh, you know when you came in as a young guy as a, as a leader of the team? So when I decided not to go to New York, and I I, I was I didn't have a place. I'd moved up from Houston. And I staying at my mom and dad's house until I could find out an apartment and. Um, I would drive up every morning early to go work out at the Viking facility at Winter Park. And um, Scott would be in there first one in the morning, and um, he saw me in there every day, and he finally came up to me and he said, listen, I'm here at this time. If you want somebody to work out with, this is, this is the time I'm here. And I started working out with him. And, wow. and then after that, and I got more comfortable, then Scott took me in and started helping me with how do you how you break down film? How do you study tendencies? And then it became a game for me, where I loved I loved knowing the the percentages. If they come out in this formation, if they motion to this, if they have this personnel, what is the percentage on this side of the field? What what play they're going to want run? It's going to be a 34% chance. Blah blah blah. So Scott taught me all that stuff, and and I love him for that. It really made me a better player. Made me feel more comfortable out there. I, I became um, a smarter player, and, mm-hmm. and, and I think that the greatest players who, who, who extend their longevity of their careers, they lose their, their physicalness, their physical attributes, their speed, their quickness, whatever. However, their mind picks up and, and, and gets them in the right yeah. spot faster, and that was Scott. Scott wasn't the biggest, Scott wasn't the fastest, he wasn't the quickest, but he was the smartest. And, and he could sit there, and, and the great minds of Monty and, 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 and Pete and Floyd Peters, their defense coordinator, Scott could look at something on the board that they put up and he'd say, yeah, that's not gonna work. 
Really? Right from the start. He knew. Yeah. That's that's amazing. Have you stayed in touch with him a little bit? A little bit, yeah. 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 That's great. I just read his book the uh, the other day. I finished yeah. it a couple of months yeah, ago. Yeah, we interviewed him. I interviewed him when that book came out. It was so fun to get to know him. Uh, and, and no, I mean, we knew of him, obviously, but just to hear some of the background and how his upbringing, you know, created uh, the guy that he was as well. Well, Mark, we'll let you go. It's so, It's been so fun here to chat with you um, on a busy week. I know uh, you got a lot of people pulling at different directions because uh, you don't get to, you know, because of your travel schedule, get to come home all the time. So uh, to spend some time here, I think Gopher fans are going to love uh, listening or have love listening to uh, uh, to some of the memories and to, to, to find out, you know, what great success you've had. Well, I hope to be back in, in November for a Gopher game. Yeah. So um, maybe I'll see you there. Let us stop up and see Daryl and I, I and uh, we'll, uh, we'll, uh, we'll have you on the air. We'll talk Thank a little so bit. Much. I awesome. appreciate Good it. to see you. All right. My thanks to former Golden Gopher linebacker Mark Dusbabic of Faribault for sharing his time with us on this week's Go Gopher podcast, episode number 28. I know you enjoyed hearing from Mark, and we appreciate his time during a very busy week. The Go Gopher podcast is presented by Sunbelt Business Advisors and True North Mergers and Acquisitions. If you're buying or selling a business, visit sunbeltminnesota.com or tnma.com today. We're also sponsored by State Farm agent Tony Hoagland. Brandon Morton is our producer and technical expert. Again, I'd invite you to listen to past podcasts, and please be sure to subscribe to the Go Gopher podcast right now. It's absolutely free to listen at any time. We'll talk again next week.